Welcome to the Wise GP podcast, the podcast where we discuss primary healthcare research, development, and scholarship. I'm Joanna Riley, a recently qualified GP and intern on the Wise GP project. Today, I'm talking to Joanne Reeves, who's a GP and a professor of primary care in Hull University and a friend with the Wise GP. Joanne's research is around generalism, illness experiences, and patient centeredness. So, hi, Joanne. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Joanna. Thank you for the invitation. It's great to great to be here. So I was wondering, first of all, could you tell us a bit about your journey to general practice and what led you to be interested in some of the research you've pursued? Well, I suppose I probably ought to um, admit that I never intended to either work in general practice or to be an academic. So I started my career in public health. It was a specialty I, I came across when I was a student, when I was getting frustrated, I suppose, by what felt like the narrowness of the biomedicine that, that we were learning a lot of. And and while whilst I was training, uh, I kept getting hitting hitting the challenge of how do you how do you fit a square peg in a round hole of of of, of understanding the patient's experience of illness and and reconciling that with with biomedicine, and it was for me it was only when I started doing public health training that I came across if you like the scientific principles that could, and the ways of thinking that could help me make sense of that. The, it, so I became curious. It was can we use science differently to help us make care work better for the individual for the person and and it was sort of various conversations that led me to a research project which was a PhD and that brought me back into general practice and 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 from there I stayed in general practice doing doing both clinical and and research work and here we are today. It's really interesting isn't it how many people who do general practice kind of do something else first and then um, switch or find that different things feed into it I suppose that's kind of the breadth of general practice which is one of the really great things about it it's really interesting what you said about the trying to fit the biomedical paradigm to some of the patients we see I think when you go to medical school it's very much you, you know they might teach you the biopsychosocial model but the focus is generally very much on the biological illnesses of the patients and very much less on the psychological and social context around it though I don't know is that something that's starting to change in your medical school teaching now? Certainly the medical schools I've worked in I think it is expanding ever more that element but 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 I think my first ever lecture as a medical student was in the sort of psychosocial field if you like um I remember sitting in you know age 18 first lecture was on um was a sociologist talking to us about why single mothers from from socioeconomically deprived communities smoke and why their rationale for smoking may be very different from the rational thinking that medicine would apply to the risks and benefits of smoking and basically it came down to the fact that it was the it was in this study that was being presented that with these women describing it's the only five minutes that I get to myself in a day is when I stand out on the balcony of the high floor high rise flat they lived in um, having a quick cigarette and I think the challenge is not that we don't teach it I think it's that we don't maybe help people to link the two together to to understand so so students think they're learning in in Hull it's health and society they think they're learning health and society for the health and society exam paper and then they're learning the biomedical sciences for the for, for that paper and we we don't necessarily help them in, uh, enough how to integrate the two I suppose. Perhaps also the public as well. Sometimes we see people 
who present to a doctor, a medical doctor, but their problems are very much social. Um, and that's why we have things like social prescribing. But again, I'm not sure how widely aware the public is of that. And perhaps recently, maybe this is even accentuated with COVID, there's a tendency to see everything through a health paradigm. I think that's a... Um... A really important point is that thinking differently about how we understand health and healthcare going forward. Why is GPs thinking about the the general practice community, clinicians from from all disciplines working there, but but also about how we have we have those conversations with patients as well. And we've been talking with various patient groups about what does healthcare look like in the future differently to make it more person-centered, but still recognize it as just as robust and just as good care, if you like. It almost feels like there's a sense that there's there's this best care, which is the sort of technical biomedicine, high-tech, whizzy care, and then social prescribing or whatever you know language we put around the the other forms of care that have been around for oh, well, all the time I've been working are seen somehow as as not as good but by, by patients as well you know but but no I I, I need my test I need this or, or whatever and it's how do we have that conversation again how do we reframe what the goals of healthcare are I suppose absolutely it's really important work isn't it so I guess that brings us on to wise GP which is the website that I've been lucky enough to be working on with you and some of the other interns. And can you tell us a bit about what led you to found that um, and what made you feel a need for it? So we were doing some work around with health professionals rather than the patient story as yet, but um, with health professionals about what they felt were the things that helped them, but also the things that stopped them being able to shape healthcare to the needs of the individual, of the person in front of them, if you like, to potentially move beyond the biomedical guideline and and, and deliver to deliver the personalised, tailored care for that individual. One element that came out, or, or several elements that came out really, was a, a sense of permission to do that, that it was the right thing to do, a sense of confidence in the skills to do it. So how do I how do I step beyond the guidelines how do I how do I go outside of the lines that say yes if you do this you're absolutely doing the right thing if I step outside of that how do I do that safely and appropriately and for for the individual and for myself and those gaps that people were describing were very much about how do I interpret complex situations and make complex decisions and then learn put them in place and learn from them and those are the skills of of scholarship the skills that we use in scientific practice all the time and that certainly I use in in research and uh, um, all the time and and, and as we sat and and um, reflected on it with with colleagues from the Society of Academic Primary Care we were thinking well actually these aren't the skills that are being taught in undergraduate necessarily in VTS and and so on and so forth and that was really where the WISE GP started was there was a gap there was people were describing there's something missing both and that replies to their their clinical skills their confidence and, and skills in making complex decisions managing uncertainty but also stepping wider than that, helping our individual patients important, but people also want to build a career that's going to excite and, and sustain them for, for an ever longer period of time as our retirement ages all get pushed further and further back. And it, it felt like there was an opportunity to bring some communities together, and in particular the academic communities, the education and research communities, together with the clinical communities and start thinking about what we could do. And that was where Wise GP started. So it started with a story 
and then what people were telling us they need practical resources to help as well so so that's where you know where where obviously your work's sitting and 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 Emily and Annabelle as well so yes it, it started as a story and it's now developing into more practical help yes I think I feel that you know there's academic general practice which is doing lots of great research but then there's also lots of GPs who are working and they're thinking a lot about what they do and why they do it and about this complexity that we discussed but sometimes the research isn't necessarily speaking to them and they aren't necessarily speaking to well the researchers or sort of engaging with that academic environment so which isn't because people don't want to I think it's generally because of one busyness and two people maybe don't quite know how to get there so for me I think YSGP is great for that reason that it can hopefully start having more of this conversation about some of the complexity in in GP work. Absolutely and I think it's about trying to sort of recognise that research and academic work isn't just about the knowledge that's produced, if you like, the output of it. It's about the process, the thinking process that does. And there's all sorts of resources within with the scientific community, within the research community that can help with the complex thinking that's going on in clinical practice, just as the clinical community have all sorts of insights and, and thoughts that can contribute to the scientific challenge of how are we going to get better? I mean, take the example of multimorbidity. Everybody's, uh, the, the M word is everywhere. This, the clinical community is struggling with the sheer volume of work and the complexity of work that, that that's involved and the fact that it's challenging us to change the way we do things as the way we work in clinical teams the way we organize practice the way we the way we prioritize and and so on but it's also challenging the scientific community to think differently as well because we again it's not just multimorbidity that's that's doing it it's been going on for a long time but moving away from a kind of a linear view of, of of almost experimental research if you like where where does x work to improve what condition y or whatever we now we've got scientific community developing thinking and understanding and methods to help us look more closely and critically at complex and complicated ways of working and try to understand do they help or don't they help and how can we how can we make them better and how can we build them in and sustain them neither community can do that on their own and we've all got the public community and we've got we've funders and government and policy and whatever there's lots of communities but certainly I think the we're both scientific communities the clinical community is a scientific community the academic community is a scientific community so can we bring those groups together through things like we YGP to try and help us all solve the problems that we've all got it's interesting what you're saying about complex interventions and you've written things about defining expert general practice as a complex intervention and maybe testing it there's some things that I wonder if you can test in a randomized control trial but then I suppose we have to try and get some sort of evidence and not just take it on faith things work what what do you think so I'm not a trialist and as in I you know it's not my area of expertise and I don't and the models of of clinical trials are are changing and adapting in terms of how we do clinical trials anyway so maybe part of that is we need to change our understanding of what a trial could be but the idea of of a experimental model by um, or experimental situation in which we can critically look at something to learn from it is potentially quite appealing in the sense that how do we what we're talking about is how do we change 
mindsets, cultures, practice at the at the level of patients, practitioners, practice organisations, strategic organisations, policy, and 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 right the way through. And everybody's the drivers for everybody's decision making is is different. But data is certainly important, and I think research gives us data but research is more more than just the data it produces i think the the experience of the researchers who do the work means that brings brings in thoughts and in insights that can help in those discussions but they're not sufficient so i suppose what i'm saying is so i absolutely recognize the potential risk in in trying to if as some people might see it reduce something like generalist medicine to an intervention a complex intervention although true complexity theorists would would probably reject the word reduce as a starting point but um I think it's about it's about us finding a framework, a model that gives us a shared language, a shared approach to critically look at things differently and say what works, what doesn't work, what can we try, then put it into place and try it and then learn from it. So I think it's it, we're almost in action learning models and, and things as well. And it's how the kind of experimental and and other observational methods can fit in that. When I started my career in public health, we, we talked about, you know, the NHS and healthcare being a learning organisation. I'm, I'm sure people still talk about it vaguely, but not, not so strongly, perhaps, in, in the current climate. How do we do that? No, absolutely. And I can, I can definitely see that at the moment we know that general practice gets a relatively small percentage of NHS funds, despite carrying out the vast majority of the patient contact. And also we know that there's problems at times recruiting to general practice posts and medical students sometimes report that they, they're not encouraged into general practice or that they have a perception that it's not intellectually stimulating, which is another one of the things YSGP was designed to test. But I think that if we're going to have a strong NHS that's fit for purpose with the multimorbidity and increase in health problems we're going to see with the ageing population, we really need to have general practice at the centre of it. So I can see that getting data on some of these things that are a bit harder to measure can also help with that and help put the value of that kind of generalism for patients at the centre. Absolutely. And data comes in many forms, doesn't it? It doesn't mean we have to reduce everything to numbers. You know, data, words are data too, but then we need to, and and so we're pictures and and observations and so on and so forth, but then we need the critical skills to be able to look at those robustly and in a way that can be credible to other people too. I suppose one of the things, one of the things that's worried me for, for a while is the idea that some elements of generalist medicine are sort of soft skills if you like so person-centeredness being a soft skill or being a needing soft skills because absolutely does depend build on relationships and communication skills and empathy and and all those elements they're all part of the the complex mix but if if we miss out the cognitive, intellectual, whatever elements of that as well. We do two things. Is one is is not actually give credit to the incredible amount of intellectual work that goes on in general practice every day already. And two, we risk we risk other people perceive it as not as robust, not as good, not as challenging either a, a career path or a model of practice. So we'll continue to have the idea that you that the general practice or the idea that some people have that general practice is is the lesser of the healthcare system and that the better is to go and see the specialists in hospital. We need to recognise general practice as specialists in their own right. They're specialists in generalist community-based primary care medicine, but they have as as they are equal to, equivalent to, to hospital-based specialists. 
I think that's what things seem to be moving towards, isn't it? The idea of the GP as the leader of the community team or, you know, the coordinator of community care and the sort of consultant in community care. I, I don't know if most GPs would want that title. What would you think? Oh, gosh, I think there are people far better qualified to answer that than, than, than me, really. I, I suppose. So I've always been a portfolio GP right from day one, because like I started my career in a portfolio role that, that involved many different elements of what I did and I sort of brought that into general practice when I came to general practice so so my idea of what what general practice is and what a GP is is perhaps different to people who've gone in 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 different routes and maybe you know and I think they're all of value and the strength comes from having all of those all of those there I think my my if I was talking with colleagues and maybe maybe we need to do the project if we're talking with colleagues about whether or not they or how they would feel about that title then maybe my follow-on question will be why do you think that you know what, what whichever whichever it is positive or, or negative or neutral or or whatever I, I'd be interested to explore I think no I'm the same I don't really have any strong feelings but I'm very early career so it's hard for me to really think what people who are more experienced GPs might think I think I also wanted to ask you about how we can support this sort of expert generalism and whole person care because I think this is the sort of care that most GPs want to provide but sometimes it can be difficult things like balance group and reflective practice groups they can help but most people are doing them in their spare time do you think that's one thing that that people should look at whether there should be more time for these sorts of things to support that kind of care absolutely so I think ever since I started talking about these sorts of issues people said to me but I haven't got time to do that and the first time we did a piece of research on what are the barriers to being to expert generalist care people described it as a as time as one of the barriers interestingly when we repeated the study a couple of years ago they changed that to the the barrier was the headspace to do it so for me the conversation about should we be doing 10 minute or 15 minute consultations isn't quite into the right space because it's not just about have I got enough time within the consultation it's have I got the context around me that means I'm not I've not got so many calls on my on my critical thinking I haven't got that cognitive overload where somebody's coming and asking me about a script so you know there's a patient collapsing over in the corner there's 17 phone telephones ringing whatever even if you have a 20 minute consultation with someone you've got all that going on you're not going to be able to engage with the very high level intellectual tasks that we're talking about here so I think there's absolutely things to do about rethinking how we run run practice. And, and that means res- recognising the, the distinct expertise that the generalist does in order to be able to prioritise it and, and programme it into a working day and into a working career, a working week and a working career. So it will, there may be times when you're doing, you know, we don't always have to be working at that at, right at the um, highest ends of our, of our professional expertise for or however many hours a week we might do those uh, you know it's sort of like uh, it's too many years since I've been in hospital but in hospital medicine but consultant clinics against ward rounds against on call against management leadership meetings that diversity of, of practice which which we have in general practice around running the practice but but do we have that diversity around our clinical work built in for everybody I think it's there for some people and in some practices but is it built into the way we design our profession so I think there's something that absolutely about the context but the research has also 
consistently showed that there's something about the confidence and skills of practitioners as well. So they, some of them describe that they've never been trained in the how to do this, this sort of extended beyond protocol decision making and so on. Others describe that even if they've had training, they don't feel confident to use it in daily practice. So there's a professional gap as well as a context gap, if you like. that. And, and obviously, why is GPs focusing on the professional gap? But in order to try and influence the contextual gap, because if we have if we have professionals feeling more confident and 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 demanding even that actually you need to design me a workplace where I can I can work at the at the high end of my clinical skill set. Don't design me into a into a, a setting where I'm I'm not using the full range of my skill set because you're not getting the best out of it and I'm not getting the best out of it. And that's not a way to motivate me for a however many decades worth of career. No, so. absolutely. It's saying that about hospital medicine. It's interesting how seldom in primary care we have, for example, MDTs that doctors are actually at where we discuss patients. And the reason for that is often that every session that you're paid for in the practice, you tend to have a clinic session schedules so you don't necessarily have any free time to do things like go to MDTs but given that the complexity of patients that we're managing is getting so much greater that sort of thing is perhaps something we have to think about and in the homeless service where I work for a while we had a reflective practice session once a month with a psychologist which was really excellent for being able to have a neutral space to discuss patients who might be challenging obviously that's a very particular service but I think having that sort of space to be able to discuss problems is something that some practices are really lucky and have it others I think probably struggle um, and, and I wonder if that's something that would help us in the future moving on just the final question I just wanted to ask you quickly what you thought some of the biggest challenges for primary care in the NHS would be in the next 10 years so in, in classic, you know, um, all of us who've been sent on leadership course at various times, I'm going to suggest that the challenges are opportunities and and, tr- and, and see YSGP as part of that, just to get my, my final plug in as well. But um, in the most positive of senses, I think one of the biggest challenges facing us is going to be lifting our heads again after 12 months, of, of as we all have, of being in, in firefighting mode and with our heads down, just getting on with the job. And when everybody is so exhausted and everything we all know is how do we prioritise that actually we need to create the new vision of general practice going forward, learning from the positive elements that we've had in the last 12 months of trying out ways, different ways of working, learning from what we knew before we hit this and the, the changes that were starting to happen and thinking about how we can do things differently rather than keep saying we're too busy to do things differently. So so I think that's going to be one of the biggest opportunities, but I also recognise how hard it's going to be. And that's why I think doing it together and bringing communities together is going to be really important. But we're going to have to give people permission, I suppose, back to the the research we did, give people permission that that's actually a really important part of their job. That's back to that idea of being a a community consultant in primary care or general practice or whatever. But actually, it's a legitimate role for us to be taking a step back from the very front line and saying, I I, I am part of redesigning this. And and there are people doing that in in, in sort of PCNs and ICSs as they form and everything else as well. But, But it needs the whole profession to be doing it. We need to take the whole profession with us. And I think within that, probably um, valuing the distinct distinctness, the distinctness of primary care, but also the distinctness of general practice. And, and, and I mean that with the 
deepest of respect and um, for, for, for all of the disciplines that work in primary care. And because we need every single one of us there. But we did a piece of work a couple of years ago where we were looking at various workforce changes going on across our region. And whilst we've been bringing in, uh, bringing in and, and, and developing a whole new, new array of, of, of roles in the extended primary care team, which is so exciting, at one point we perhaps weren't paying enough attention to the GP trainees who were already there. And they were starting to lose their sense of identity and, and where they fitted within a, within a team. And there were some challenging, challenging issues coming out from that as well. So I think we need to stand tall and stand proud, all of us, side by side and working together. But we need to say, well, what's the GP's role in this, in this setting? What's the ACP's role? What's the nurse's role in this? What's the phys- physiotherapist, the pharmacist and so on and so forth? We've all got distinct elements to contribute. We're not all just jack of all trades, master of none working in 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 the swampy lowlands of 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 primary care it's how how do we do it so so i think that's going to be one of our potentially really exciting and really important things that that actually a crisis like this may help us to to do and i suppose yes basically it's it's that idea that more of the same won't do so people have talked about paradigm shifts for ages and you know tenetti and freed in whenever it was 2004 the end of the disease era we need a paradigm shift to person-centered care and so on and so forth but we really do need to be thinking about how we're going. Sorry, not just thinking. We really need to be doing things differently going forward. And that's really hard when you're already exhausted to do that. You're right. It is a huge challenge and a huge opportunity, hasn't it? But I think the interesting thing is COVID has made health and the health service such a topic of discussion and made it clear that it's not a side part of sort of national life for everyone. It's an integral part of that. So hopefully a good climate to have these conversations and to be able to, to come up with new models of working. And with that, we can, we can finish, I think. Thank you very much for coming to talk on the podcast, Joanne. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Joanna. It's great, great to talk with you. And I'm, I'm looking forward to ongoing conversations through, through the YSGP network. So 